You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's Industry Best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we have on my good buddy, Tim Kent. Now, Tim has been working within the hunting uh, industry in a whole bunch of different spaces for several years now, and uh, he's done a lot of marketing, he's done a lot of product testing, and what this has allowed him to do is to just kind of get a good grasp on what the difference is and this is a, really this is objective uh, from all parties because I, I voice my opinion in this episode as well. But really, what it does is it, it just al- allows us to know the difference between good gear and great gear. Now, don't get me wrong; there's really shitty products out there as well. But there's you know we talk about things like products that are good enough versus superior products um, based off of functionality, based off of price point. Um, things like that. We talk about manufacturing, uh, where where a product is manufactured, and we also talk about you know specific products like uh, tree stand boots, bows, archery accessories, uh, and, and things like that. So uh, it's a really good BS conversation. And one thing that I want everybody to think of is, uh, you know, uh, you'll hear Tim and I talk about this buy once, cry cry once mentality. And and that is, you know, saving up for the best possible product, not just kind of uh, buying products that are uh, disposable, if that makes sense. Uh, Talking about products that, you know, you're going to get the most out of it if maybe you spend a little bit more more money or you save. We talk about does price reflect quality and and so on. So it's a really good BS session about gear. And uh, if you're a gear nut, I think you're going to enjoy this. So uh, stay tuned for that. Now, uh, we got to do some commercials. First off, uh, Tethered. 
as soon as I get done recording this episode today, I'm actually going to go get in a tree in my backyard and I'm going to start shooting out of my saddle. And uh, I'm going to throw a couple arrows at a target. I'm going to start getting acclimated with it. And uh, the goal is to shoot a deer out of a saddle this year. Uh, the cool thing about, um, you know, working with Tethered is that these guys, they're not all in 100%. It's, uh, a saddle is their company. Don't get me wrong. They're focused on making saddle and saddle hunting accessories. But they understand that a saddle is a tool and a tree stand is a tool. So different tools can be used in different scenarios. This is just another option in your tool belt of how you can uh, you know, access property and kill a deer. So there's that, all right? So if you wanna find out more about Tethered, go visit their website, Hunt Stand. What's cool about Hunt Stand is that I'm on it all the time now. I am getting ready for my Western hunts or my out-of-state hunts, and I'm doing that by, you know, when I have my free time, I'm on there digitally scouting. I'm looking for good spots. I'm looking for good properties, potentially places that I may want to go knock on a door, or I may want to, I don't know, uh, send a note in the mail or something, right? Looking for those spots, whether it's on public or private ground, uh, that I want to hunt. And if it's on private, then I can use all the information that is on HuntStand to go and find who the landowner is, uh, find an address, send them a letter, or heck, maybe even jump online and find their telephone number. So I would say that HuntStand has, as far as a mobile uh, or a, a hunting app is concerned, definitely has the most functionality. Uh, definitely has the most up-to-date satellite imagery. Uh, the function, like I said, the functionality, and then the price point is at $30 a year, and that is with everything. You get everything for $30 a year, uh, and to me, that's the most affordable. Uh, definitely the most affordable with the most functionality, so it's really a no-brainer at that point. Uh, the Average Conservationist, man, huge shout-out to Marcus and the Average Conservationist over there. Their podcast uh, is doing really well. And not only that, but it focuses on conservation. Now, it's not its not like, I don't know. Everybody gets fired up about the hunting strategy and the big bucks. That's what sells. But the cool thing is that Marcus is focused on conservation. He knows that there, there's a niche. And he knows that it's important to talk about conservation. And that's why we brought him on the network. What's cool about what he's doing was that with the average conservationist apparel line, uh, I guess you would call it a lifestyle brand, is that he is taking that brand and instantly cutting 10% of it off the top and donating it to some form of uh, conservation effort, right? So go check it out. Awesome t-shirts, awesome hats, awesome logos. And honestly, I think he just launched um, a new line of t-shirts this week or last week they should be hitting their store theaverageconservationist.com you can go buy all their stuff there uh, it really is cool really is comfortable uh, gear and so go check that out and lastly Annihilator Broadheads if you're looking for a very uniquely designed broadhead that has a lot of science behind the, uh, the product itself um, they claim that when you shoot it through an animal, it reduces the, the, the way that the broadhead is designed. The wound channel 
reduces the, the drag on the arrow, allowing the broadhead and the energy to go through the animal, creating more pass-throughs. So what I would do is I would go to Annihilator Broadhead's website and uh, go check out everything about this product, right? So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the commercials for today. Really appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to the podcast. Please go to the either the Nine Finger Chronicles or actually go to the Hunting Gear podcast on iTunes or wherever you download your uh, uh, download your podcast. Give a five star review. Make some comments. Be social on social media. Ask questions, comments, all that kind of stuff. And uh, hopefully, you guys enjoy this podcast with my good buddy Tim Kent. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Tim Kent. Tim, what's up, man? What's going on, Dan? Oh, you know, just living that summer lifestyle uh, here in Iowa. How about you? Yeah, same. Just starting to heat up. We've had a few uh, few pretty warm days. I think that yesterday was our fourth day in the 90s, which for some folks are like, ah, no oh, big yeah. deal. But you throw in some humidity and uh, it gets pretty real pretty quickly. The irony is, by contrast, last Saturday, the high here was like 54. Oh, so yeah. it, I've never seen it that cool uh, this time of year. It, all, it felt like fall. I got all giddy. Yeah. Do you, so you live in Northern New York, right? Yeah. The Western part of the state. Yep. Okay. So do you guys get lake effect snow in the winter time? Yeah, we time? sure do. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at that, with that said, do you guys get lake effect cooling in the summertime? Um, every once in a while, but the, the lake does this thing where they say it flips, so it'll get warm on the surface and then it'll decide that it's going to flip and the warm water goes low and the cold water comes up. So sometimes it'll impact that, but not, we're pretty consistent temp wise most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Do you make it to the, the, the lake at all or the coast or whatever you call that up there? <laughs> yeah. Lake Ontario. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get there a few times a year. We do a camping trip, um, over uh 4th of July weekend we're we're right on the St. Lawrence River in Lake Ontario so we'll go hang out there a little bit and then you know everyone's it's only like oh shoot as the crow flies maybe 10 15 miles from the house oh so, nice yeah so so we'll go up there every once in a while i mean it's not uh it's not anything glorious that's for sure but um you know it's a body of water so it's it's pretty neat to go and check out we'll fish on it every once in a while it's just our schedules are pretty wild right now with the kids' schedules and then hours with businesses and everything else that we're just trying to hold it all together. So a recreational time sort of takes a hit, but yeah. what can you do? Yeah, I feel you, man. I feel like right now I should be working more hours than what I am, but I'm also the coach of two T-ball teams uh, and professional shuttle driver right now, and that's all – that's all I feel like I'm doing is taking kids to daycare, picking them up from daycare, taking them to practice, taking them back from practice, taking them to the park, blah, 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 blah. And uh, day's over, and now I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I'd say welcome to summer, but it feels like anymore that's just status quo, right? Exactly. You know, you know dad, dad's taxi, mom's taxi, you know. you. <laughs> yeah. Just, here's what it is. That's a fact. That's a fact. You well, got to get kids that are driving, man. And yeah, then- right? Right. Yeah. I think uh, then I can then my stress won't go away. It will just be in a different place. Yes, exactly. <laughs> my schedule will clean up, but the stress of my children driving a car 
would will go through the roof. Mm-hmm. So, all right, hunting gear podcast today, um, and I want to talk about gear or good gear or average gear or regular gear versus great gear. And a lot of times we we hear people say, you don't need this brand or this expensive thing or this piece of equipment because there's these other options out there. Maybe it's a, a, a cost benefit thing or a, a cost thing, a budget thing where you don't need to spend this money, but if you did, it would be awesome type of type of scenario. And so I was thinking about this the other day and I was thinking about a, a handful of products that since I've upgraded to maybe spent some extra money on and I, I feel like I I feel like it's benefited me a lot. And so the first question I have for you is is there a is there a piece of equipment or a piece of gear that maybe throughout the years you just went with the average version of something and then maybe recently or maybe not even recently upgraded to the I guess the more expensive or the next level of high tech technology or whatever it is and you're you won't ever go back from it I think anybody that really knows me well will say my initial answer to that is binoculars um I'm the type of guy where if I could wear binoculars all the time, just in my everyday life, just walk around my bino harness on, just like, oh, what's that up the road? And just peer, you know, (laughs) down the street to see what my neighbor's cat is carrying in its mouth that it's filled (laughs) and I peer that little fucker on. I'm that guy. Yeah. And so uh, a young man that used to work with me and I, we always joked around what we should just wear binoculars all the time. Just driving down the road in our trucks in everyday life, just wearing binos. And so when it comes to binos, that's one of those things where for a long time I messed around with, I mean, a whole bunch of different brands. And um, I probably went through at least a half dozen different brands. And especially once I started hunting out West, I just really saw the the advantage to having better glass and when i took when i took the leap to to the brand that i use now which i had threatened to do for a really long time and i just never pulled the trigger on the expense because you know it's it's a big expense but when i went back and i added up all the money that i had spent on binos even with industry discounts and, and and getting hooked up with binoculars and whatever else i still spent more money on those that on all of those different binos to graduate to that, that brand. And I mean, you know, I'm whatever. I don't, I don't, I, I use Swarovski binos now, you know, and there's a lot of other good brands. That's just the one that I picked, you know, and whatever else. But, um, I had threatened to buy Swaros or Leicas for years because they were just, they were just good. And I I messed, I mean, I messed around with so many other brands and, and I finally, I finally like pulled the trigger on it. And I was like, Holy shit. Yeah. What a difference. I mean, and <clears throat> I, I had, I mean, I had had some other pretty high end brand binos. I, I probably spent four or $5,000 throughout that process on different binoculars. Cause I didn't want to spend like the 23 or 2,500 
on a pair of Swaros. And when I did it, I just couldn't believe it. Now, with that being said, I've seen a lot of editorial recently on like Maven and how, and how good that brand is and, you know, what you can get for the dollar there. And it's really intrigued me because, you know, with us talking about good gear, good gear versus great gear, I don't always think that the equation needs to be, you have to, you have to buy at the very top of the market because there are good brands. Yeah. Vortex is another one where they make an excellent product that's at a reasonable price price point. And for the vast majority of people, it's really going to be super, super solid and, and provide an excellent solution, but you got to just kind of make the jump, you know, and, and, and those particular price points, let's say for binos, instead of spending two or 300 bucks, like just jump up to that thousand or 1500 or whatever it is and do it once, you know, like there's another podcast and they have a commercial on there for Kafaru and the guy says, buy once, cry once. And I just love that saying because that's sort of the lesson that I've learned through this process with so many different pieces of gear uh, because I just, I just didn't want to do it. And I ended up spending more in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a, price reflect yeah price reflects quality guy no i don't not. think so i okay. think i think with certain things that is the case um but i think with others that is not the case again I'm, i'll use the binocular reference like you can get a great pair of binos out of out of a pair of vortex you can get a great pair of binos out of a out of a maven you can get you know um you can get great range finders for out of, out of loophole and everything else. And it's not crazy expensive. I mean, it's not uncommon to find a $200 rangefinder right now. That's, that's amazing. And so I don't think you have to step up to a $600 Leica in order to have the same quality or the, you know, same user experience. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you can be, you can be a little bit more selective in your process. You just have to do a little research or have a little experience yourself. You know, whether it's at a at a consumer show or your local sportsman's warehouse or Cabela's or dealer or whatever, and, and go and check stuff out and you know and see see how things fit and feel if it's clothing or a backpack or boots or you know see the ergonomics of a pair of binoculars or a rangefinder or you know if we're talking about bows, obviously fit is critical, but I mean, you know, you can get great bows now for 600 bucks, 700 bucks, you know, versus the 11, 12 or more for some of these other brands. And it's just, I, you know, we're sort of in a spot where I think a lot of people think you got to really buy up. And I don't know that that's always the case. Yeah. Have you ever, I don't, we'll just stick with binoculars for a second or optics. Have you ever went on a hunt and forgot your binoculars uh, your main pair of binoculars and had to go back to what you were using or if that's not the case, maybe provide another example of a, a piece of equipment that you forgot on a trip or on a hunt and then you had to go back to what you were previously using? Never really like on a trip with when it comes to optics. Like that's the one thing that if I'm flying, they my 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 backpack my that I'm traveling with will weigh like, 70 pounds because I keep all my optics and my releases in there. That's like the two things that I, I just feel like I can't live, live without my stuff. Like if I have to go and try and find, I shoot a handheld release. If I have to shoot a, try and find a handheld release 
in the middle of nowhere in Montana, it's going to, it's just going to totally alter everything. And then I, I feel like the, the two things that people tend to get really emotionally connected with when it comes to archery products specifically are their release and their broadheads. Yeah. And those are two things that I don't want to be in search of. And if it was a rifle hunt ammo, I don't want to be in search of in the middle of nowhere. It's yeah. just it's a bad thing. So I, I mean, I, I carry all that stuff on if I'm flying and then if I'm driving, I will just turn around and go back. <laughs> I had to for certain stuff. The one thing that I have forgotten on hunts before, and I've done this multiple times and it's because I, sh I, I shoot with my quiver off, you know, when I'm hunting and whatever else usually. And I have forgotten my quiver multiple times and had to go buy, you know, quivers at places and you're, you know, you're in like Walmart or Academy or, someplace you know buying a 20 dollar quiver and you're like it's it's just totally different you're like how does this thing lock on and yeah. how do i get off the moment of truth and what is this i don't know i don't like the way the broadhead's sitting here it doesn't hold the arrows well but okay i got a quiver i'm not going to cut my finger off today so yeah. uh that's the only thing i i have uh <clears throat> you know i've consistently forgotten i think i forgot my base layers one time I know I forgot my underwear once. That was awesome. <laughs> my wife thought that was hilarious. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty rad. But uh, you, you just you figure out ways to survive. Yeah, man. I, I'll tell you this. Um, when it comes to, I'll, I'll just kind of share one of my some of my experiences here, and that would be like upgrading, right? When when it's time to upgrade to, let's say you've saved your money or you have an idea, you've seen something, uh, and you're just like, man, uh, I, I want this. I've saved up for it. I, I'm going to go get it. You go get it, and you just instantly you feel the relief, right? And I'll just use boots as an example, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I'm a huge fan of Krispies. Well, my Krispies got wet, and I had to use my backup pair of boots. And, man... I, all I was thinking about was my feet on that, that day while my boots were drying out. And so I was just completely frustrated. I didn't like, I, I almost pouting, you know, like I, I should have just gotten over it, but it was such a jump in comfort and functionality of in, in the boot that I, that it just like, it, it almost ruined my day. And so I, I, I was almost spent out west when I was in South Dakota hunting until my until those boots dried up and I was able to you know get back in them. But it's it sucked, and so th those little encounters uh, also tree stand, right? I, I usually rock like the lone wolf, which is now a Novex, and so from a tree stand standpoint, I've forgotten one on a trip, and I had to use a God, I don't even know what it was. But this was a while ago, and it was just a man. I don't even know what it was, but I couldn't adjust. You know, like in the the lone wolves and uh, the lone wolves, you have the ability to adjust the platform or the off bracket to get your tree stand perfectly level in the tree, right? You bet. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that, so it just eliminated all of these trees. And until finally I was able to, you know, get my, get my tree stand back. And so I was just, I was so frustrated that it just, so it's awesome for me. 
when you get to see the jump, but appreciate it more when it's taken away from you. And so, um, man, I, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like there is a, uh, there are levels to this, this gear game and that you do get what you pay for. And, you know, I could sit here and say, you don't need it. You're right. You don't need it, but it will definitely make your hunting experience better. Like you said, uh, base layers, right? Until I jumped to Merino. Holy shit, man. Like just a different game, just a completely different game. And now I'll never go back to it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Base layers are a really good conversation piece when it comes to gear upgrades, without a doubt. And, and, you know, I joked about underwear earlier, but that's also a place where my wife and I are just literally talking about this last night. You know, I've got, I've got these like smart wool underwear that I I probably have, I don't know, 10 pairs of right now. And they're not cheap, man. They're like 45 bucks a pair. Right. And, uh, I was, uh, I was, I was bending over before I was getting in, you know, getting ready for bed and I was just wearing my underwear and she's like, Oh, those are getting a little see-through buddy. (laughs) I said, I've had them for seven years. What do you, what do you want? She's like, well, for that cost, they should have lasted longer. I'm like, yeah, show me a pair of Hanes that are going to last this exactly. long. Right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, going out west and wearing the same pair for four days straight. And, you know, Jesus, you don't want to smell a pair of Hanes underwear then. Exactly. But like, you know, so I made that jump. I bought this, the, the pair that I had on yesterday was the first pair that I had bought. And uh, I remember we went on a trip and I was like, I'm going to wear these underwear for like four days straight and just see how bad they smell when I'm, when I'm done. <laughs> you know, it's like the disgusting experiment. Yeah. And um, they didn't smell terrible by comparison to other stuff. But like, I guess my whole point is, you know, like you, you make investments into these into these items socks are another one like you know i don't i don't care what brand socks you choose there's a lot of great brands out there but you know you make an investment into a pair of socks and you know 15 dollars for a pair of socks or 20 or 25 and that's expensive it's a lot but i i have a pair you know again i'm going to drop smart wool i have a pair of smart wool socks that i've literally had for like 26 years and i still wear them they're they're you know like my tree stand type socks i still wear them they're still warm 26 years i paid 20 bucks for those socks it's a dollar a year or less now that i've gotten out of that pair you know i have um i have a couple pair of hiking socks that i bought the first year that i went out west uh in 2004 i still have them they're starting to get a little worn out now but you know it's like upgrading to that type of gear versus you know just regular regular stuff that you get yeah it just makes it makes such an enormous difference and you, you know the the cost benefit analysis i guess you could say is significant and yeah there might be a little pain initially and and, and i hate having that type of conversation because i feel like it flies over the head of a lot of folks cuz not everybody can afford to do you know an upgrade or they think they can't afford to do an upgrade. It's like, I kind of liken it to the folks that you see and they're always driving around like a $3,500 beater car and then bitching about all the repairs that they have to put into it. (laughs) Dude, I'm not advocating buying a new rig, but like, like brand new, but 
you know, buy something that's a little better and keep the pain to a minimum. I know that might seem like it's out of your reach, but to your point from earlier, you know, have a little bit more sort of discipline about it and maybe save up. And it, again, it's tough because, you know, you're sort of um, telling people how to handle their, their economic choices. And, and, th and that's not my intent. I, I just really, I just really feel like I'd rather stave off buying a, a bunch of lesser quality things and, and buy something that's of greater quality. And again, it doesn't always have to be at the highest price point. I don't, I think there's a lot of value that exists in, you know, mid price points and whatever else. And you, you can, you can get into great gear at those ranges, but you know, sort of back to base layers. I did the same thing. I messed around with, you know, stuff that you could buy for sportsman's guide and whatever else, polypropylene. And it was good, but it wasn't until I, I jumped into some stuff that was great. I can't even remember what the brands were, but like, you know, and, and the experience was totally different. I didn't find myself like painfully shivering in the tree stand at some points, you know, between the combination of socks and base layers and everything else. And then as my systems have advanced, I just, I have stuff now that I, I just, I don't know how I could change, you know, and I'm yeah. constantly always trying something different. Um, but that's always hard too. Cause when you find something that really works, like, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I, I also want to see if I can build something better. Like one of the things that has my interest now is, you know, some of these heated vests and stuff, uh, like, you know, the Milwaukee. Yeah. Vest, like, yeah. You know, just got one in the mail. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, I'm intrigued by this. You know, can this, can this help on those really cold, you know, for us late season days, like in December when the wind picks up or, um, that just the temperature drops really low and that type of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I know you mentioned South Dakota. I mean, I know guys that'll go out there and bow hunt, you know, later in the season and it, it's nasty. And yeah. it's like, man, can that really augment my system? And is it worth the X amount of dollars that it costs in order to get it? And, and you know, is that brand the best one or is it, does it at least get me to the threshold where, you know, I can say it's, it's great, but it's not the most expensive and I didn't have to break the bank to do it, especially when you consider where we are economically right now, gas at five bucks a gallon or more in a lot of places. And, you know, you have to take these decisions into major consideration because there's a lot of other, a lot of other uh, expenses that we all have anymore. So, you know. yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one thing that, um, that's one thing that I've kind of, I don't know, man, I, 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 I'm every, I used to be the guy who was like, okay, well you don't need the latest and greatest. But then I've, I'm also the guy who is now I am, I am a cry once buy once guy because I have, I, I, I do a lot of research, probably just like you. Um, I, I tend to buy things that are going to last me a long time. Dude, I have, I have some darn tough socks that I've had for several years. Um, I have some alpaca, um, Altera alpaca socks that I use every single uh, deer hunting season. I've had those for several years. You know, um, I don't necessarily need to change my bow out every year. I do uh, not every year, but this year I won't. But you know, in the past, I I'd say I'd average two, three years out of a bow, and then end up getting a different one. 
But with that said, um, are you like, what do you think is the difference? And I know this is a very high level, vague question because, and, and by the way, Tim here, he, he gets to look at a lot of gear throughout the year. Um, just all, all, all across the hunting industry. And he's kind of a gear nut as well. Um, if, if, is that, would you say that's an accurate statement? You're kind of a gear nut. I certainly try to be anymore. It's hard to, it's hard to keep track. There's so much going on. And then, you know, as we sort of started the conversation with them, I'm paying attention to kids more than I am anything else right now. But, (laughs) um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, having been fortunate enough to have a career in the hunting industry, pretty much my whole career, you know, that's, that's what my world is revolved around. But like, yeah, I remember um, when I first started sort of dipping my toe in the water of deciding I wanted to work in this industry. It was like <clears throat> the mid-90s, maybe toward the late 90s. And uh, I had this interview at a at an archery shop. And um, I went in and I knew like every spec for every bow that the guy had hanging on the wall. And, and that, you know, like all the sights and all the broadheads, I just, I just like knew all the specs. And he's like, how do you know all this stuff? I don't know, man. That's, that's all I think about. And he's like, wow. You, you know, and it's like, here, here it is the, the person that runs this shop and he's impressed by me being a dork. And, uh, you, you know, fast forward to now, I try and pay attention to that stuff, but it's like the volume of the business that we, that we're in now has gotten so big. It's, it's more difficult. And now obviously we have so many more channels that you can get information from, whether it's like, um, uh, you know, on social or, 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 you know, traditional magazines or forums or, you know, all these different, you know, places like rock slide or, uh, you know, whatever, there's just so many places that you can get information. Yeah. It's sort of a little bit overwhelming. And that's in addition to the whole word of mouth aspect. And that, I mean, that's my sort of pipeline for information yeah. or podcasts, of course. Right. Yep. You know, I was talking to all these different folks and, um, you know, just seeing what's up. And then, you know, you mentioned crispy boots earlier. Like I have a pair of crispies, uh, a pair of crispy Thor twos. Like I, I think they're great. Um, I have a pair of Hanwag, uh, macros, macra, however you pronounce it. Um, not the newer version, but the previous one. And, uh, like those two pairs of boots are, are amazing. Um, and I think in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to boots, they're both not super expensive. They're, they're in and around 300 bucks, which really is not, is not that bad. And I bought one, one year and I bought one the next year. And cause I, I just wanted to have two pairs of boots to be able to switch off when I was elk hunting or whatever, if they, if something got wet or, you know, just to change the, the fit just a smidge in, in case I was getting hot spots from one boot or whatever. And, um, I'm so glad I did that. But anyhow, I, I learned of, of those two brands and even models like from podcasts and I got interested and then I did a little research and then I had, I had friends that I called that were, were using them. And I was like, Hey, what do you think of these boots? And you know, it was like a pro, good pros and cons conversation. And we just have so many outlets for that information anymore. It's yeah, it's amazing. So yeah. sorry for the diatribe about gear, but like, I, I think we all kind of, I think a lot of people that are into hunting, uh, you know, nerd out about that stuff. And when guys get into Western hunting, I really do believe that a lot of the allure for a lot of guys that like, and gals that like Western hunting is the gear, you know, it's just, 
It's like, yeah, I like the Western experience, but I also like really tooling around with Geeler and seeing how it works. And you now I want to mess with my tent or I want to mess with my boots or this year I'm going to try a new pack or a different base layer or a different insulating layer. It's like, it's a really good excuse. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this with your experience over the years, doing what you've done, you know, uh, repping some brands, having your toes dipped and, and getting to see a lot of products. What do you think is the, what, maybe one or a couple contributing factors to what makes a, a good product versus what makes a, a, a great product? What's the difference there? If I had to really sum it up in one adjective, I would say longevity. And, you know, back to the socks thing, right? You, you've had these socks for a number of years. You, you, you paid for them, but they've just stood the test of time, literally, right? The lone wolf tree stand uh, example, the way that that, that stand is constructed, uh, I've, I've had a one Lomo stand for 20 plus years. Yeah. I've placed some straps on it and that's it. But there's not, there's no rust. There's, you know, not even the hardware. Like, you know, there's, there's no degradation. There's no, you know, there's just, there's nothing wrong with the anodizing on any of the anodized parts. Like replace the seat because the squirrels are assholes. Yeah. But like other than that, you know, so for me, a lot of it comes down to longevity. I, I, I was talking to a guy yesterday. He's a, He's planning his first elk hunt. It, it's going to be in 2023. He wants to go to New Mexico. This guy's older. He's he's in his 60s. He's looking for something that's realistic for his fitness level, you know, and whatever else. And I was like, dude, go to New Mexico. <clears throat> and the conversation um, sort of evolved into equipment. And he asked me about boots. And he's like, well, you know, what do you think for boots? And I was like, man, you know, if you're going to do this once, the conversation is a little bit different. I said, but, you know, if you want to, if you want to do it multiple times, you know, here's a few brands that I would look at, find something that fits your foot. I mean, that's obviously important, but I was telling him how I used to buy this one brand's boots and I, I won't, you know, dive into that brand, but, um, and they would last me like one year, basically, maybe two. And back to my thing about the, the crispies and the Hanwags, like I think I'm on my fourth or fifth, going into my fourth, fourth and fifth seasons with those. I, I think maybe it's third and fourth. I'm not really sure, but but still, I mean, from the standpoint, I hate to sound like a nerd, but cost benefit analysis. Like I was blowing out these other boots, super comfortable, very good. I, I like them, but I was blowing them out every year, every two years to now, like my. My crispies, aside from looking dirty, they're in great shape. Yeah. The soles are in great shape. Like the leather's in great shape. My Hanwags, like when I clean those things up, they look brand new. I mean, they look brand new. Yeah. Like my wife, we were walking our dogs a, a few weeks ago, and she's like, are those new boots? And I was like, heck no. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like longevity-wise, I would just try and find things that are going to last yeah. you. So that way you know that you got a return turn on that investment and that's a lot of what you're paying for darn tough stocks like dude you wear a pair of darn toughs you send those sons of bitches back they're sending you a new pair who's yeah. doing that yeah you know what i mean like how do you beat that yeah you know so i mean that, that's the thing like i want things that are gonna gonna last and that's that whole equation 
Yeah. Um, I'm going to pay for it, but it's going to last me a long time. And I know I'm not going to do that. I did that with my truck too. You know, it was just like, I wanted to buy a rig that was going to last and it was going to have a low cost of ownership and everything else. And it's just sort of been the way that I've been looking at things for a number of years now. And I'm glad that I, I, I did that. The, the, the binoculars I mentioned earlier too, like I didn't, I haven't upgraded that in quite a long time because I haven't had to, you know, I, I think I got those in 2014 and I'm a hundred percent satisfied. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So uh, I, I'll agree with you because I beat the shit. I mean, I beat the shit out of my equipment and those, yep. those lone wolves. I mean, I don't lower them down to the, the ground. I throw them out of the damn tree when I'm uh-huh. done, you know, when I'm done and then I'll put it all together down at the bottom, right? The boots. I don't just tiptoe through the woods. I drag my feet. I kick. I, I, I'm, I'm that guy who's like, I'm not high stepping anything. I'm just going through it. And so that's, that's why like certain, certain gear, it's got to perform at a certain level for me because I, that's just how I'm, I, I'm tough on everything. Right. Everything gets drugged. Everything gets dropped and not not on purpose, but I'm not thinking I'm, I'm not thinking about the gear. I'm thinking about what I'm trying to accomplish and that's kill an animal. So so I, I, I would say that the longevity, the durability of it is obviously important. But where do you think a buzzword like functionality plays in in, in a product being good versus great? I think that's on a sliding scale, Dan, because everything is sort of functional. It's just to what level, right? Yeah. So all of those products have a place and they have a, they have a fit for a wide range of people. It just might not be you or me, but, it, but it might suit one of our friends. You know what I mean? Cause their, their desire is different or maybe, um, you know, maybe, maybe their overall level of enthusiasm is different. So to me, like functionality is sort of like a rubber band, you know, it stretches and then, it, and then it relaxes. And, you know, I mean, it's like kind of like, kind of like economics, you know, you got elasticity of demand it's called like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of range in, in functionality and there's always functionality. It's just certain things I feel have more functionality, but that, better suit some people like you know i was on a i was on a a a trip two weeks ago and in texas and i was talking to uh the guy that managed the ranch that we were on and he was telling me about this other ranch that he had worked at previously and he's like oh man you wouldn't believe how many of these guys are showing up in kuyu gear and whatever else and he's like he's like and he's like meanwhile i'm walking around in a pair of shorts and you know whatever right and it's just so like from a function, he's like, they don't need that gear for, for this particular hunt. Now that may be their ensemble for everything else that they do. And in, in which case, like, yeah, don't buy, go buy extra gear because you're doing this, this trip. But from the impression that he was giving me, that wasn't exactly the case. Like you know, these aren't, these aren't guys that are, you know, pounding around the mountains, chasing sheep or elk or whatever. And that, you know, did, I didn't even get the impression there, the impression rather that they were super hardcore whitetail hunters, but you know, but like there's, um, over commitment, if you will, in their gear and that type of thing. So again, back to my statement from earlier, you don't want to, you don't want to buy more than what you actually need, but you also don't want to sell yourself short. So I, I guess my, my thing with functionality is 
find that thing that's like functional just slightly above what you think you need because you might be impressed with how it performs and you'll be so glad that you bought it yeah yeah and you really don't there's even some instances where you don't even know how the product is going to perform until you actually need it in a extreme scenario and yeah. one of those for me would would be a um a insulated puffy jacket right so yeah it's it's, it's great you know, maybe I'm a little chilly, but then when that weather, when that weather gets extreme, I, I went out to South Dakota, not last year, but the year before. And I, I went in December and it was, there was a couple of days where the high was like 10 degrees, 12 degrees with wind. And so I was just getting my ass kicked, um, all day. And, and so I, I had a good puffy jacket and that helped out tremendously. And so, uh, that's a that's an example of you know going okay that was a little expensive but i I can't imagine not having that in this scenario right now right so i don't know um that's kind of where that's kind of where i feel again some of the some of the money from if you're talking about a money what makes something great if you're comparing two products which sometimes that's hard to do you're comparing two products in a in a certain scenario right and that's why you know i'll never use cotton socks again or i'll never use uh you know cotton or you know there's there's times uh where i'll use synthetic base layers but for the most part it's merino right so that's kind of you know my body's different and i get hot up top and not down low for the most part so i wear my merino i wear excuse me i wear my merino up top and and some of my most of my pants are are synthetic or my base layer bottoms are synthetic down low but you don't know that until you you kind of put it through the the ringer and and have you know a couple seasons worth of data to tell you hey i want this or that or 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 whatever um now when it comes to you know making a a product good versus great um are there any is there anything to look out for uh, as far as a, uh, as far as products are concerned, like, is there anything to look out for, um, that might just be marketing or because that's kind of your specialty, right? So is there anything that a guy should be like, Hey man, that's just, that's just marketing. I don't, I don't need that particular thing. No, believe everything that you see, especially if it's from companies that I work with. <laughs> <laughs> the truth, the truth bomb. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely stuff, but I will say that on the whole, it feels like the majority of the industry has really stepped up their game and are and are truly trying to produce um, quality products for yeah. the particular price point. I mean, and I can say that with with a really high level of honesty and integrity. And you know, are there exceptions? Yes. Am I going to sit here and you know kind of put companies on full blast? You know having this conversation with you? Absolutely not. But, you know, they're fewer and further between, you know, like if we were to rewind, rewind the hands of time and go back to, you know, that example that I used at the bow shop in the, in the, the mid to late nineties, at that point, you know, there were some, there were some good bow brands and there were some great bow brands and there were, and even contained within those brands, there were good bows and there were great bows. And you fast forward to now and man, like 
hundred percent straight up. There is there there is nothing bad on the market when it comes to bows. I mean, in my opinion, I, yeah. like all of those companies have gotten weeded out. It's gotten so competitive that all these manufacturers have had to step up their game, and and most particularly with regard to customer service. Yes. Like if you don't have really good customer service anymore, you're not in the game. And, and, and it, you're, you're done. I mean, you're just done. Like we don't have the opportunity, you know, like if you call Verizon, right, you might get somebody locally, but the very, there's a very high likelihood you're going to get somebody offshore that you're going to have trouble understanding or having an articulate conversation with or whatever about your problem. If those bow manufacturers were to take the same approach, it'd be a death blow. Yeah. You know, they, they can't do it. They need knowledgeable individuals that, that can get on the phone with you and help you solve problems, no matter what, whether it's a broadhead tuning issue or a catastrophic failure, which again, we don't even hear the, about those that much anymore. Every once in a while, but um, but it's just the, the manufacturing techniques and the manufacturing technologies, the materials that we use, whether it's limb materials or string materials or how they're machining. I mean, look at... Um, Look at like a bow from even 15 years ago versus now and how more detailed the machining is on a riser yeah. than what it was then. I mean, th these manufacturers are just really doing exceptional work to produce yeah. a top quality piece of equipment across all price points. And yeah. so, you know, with that being said, like we, we just we just continue to advance and there there are fewer and fewer pieces of, of equipment that like aren't what they are marketed to be again there there are some and and there's gimmicky shit and and you know some people like gimmicky stuff you, you know i'm not i'm not one of those people like i would rather have you know things that are like just super clean and super functional and again like they're, they're gonna be durable and last a long time and then you know kind of looking at something out of the corner of my eye and go, eh, is that actually going to work? And I mean, I've definitely messed around with some of those things and tried them over the years. But um, again, there seems to be less and less of that any anymore. It's just, uh, it's just all getting to be a lot more straight up, yeah. which, uh, which is sweet. I mean, I think, I think you see a little bit of that, like, uh, you know, with minerals and attractants, um, maybe scouting cameras, but, like from the standpoint of arrows and broadheads and rifles and ammunition and, you know, everything that's sort of major, um, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't exist or yeah. it doesn't survive in the marketplace yeah. it does come out, you know? Yeah. So. Um, a buzzword that I learned from you uh, a while ago was participants, right? And that, and why is it, why is that word important? Because I feel a company that that has participants in whatever they're trying to sell, whether that's a rifle scope, you know, a lot of people involved in that company are shooters. If it's a bow company, a lot of people that are involved in that company are bow hunters or archers, right? So, or, you know, if it's a boot company, people who love to hike or are serious backcountry hunters. And, and so they know what, what people want because they live that on a, on a annual basis as well. So, and I don't think that's ever been more prevalent now since, 
uh, I'll use Vortex as an example for the good side of it. And that is, you know, Vortex, every one of the people that I know at Vortex are serious about hunting or they're serious about uh, shooting sports. And so, you know, if you call from a customer service, and this is elaborating on your customer service point, you can call anybody up in that company and they're going to find you an answer and share experiences with you when they hit the same problem that you have, right? On the other hand, I've seen certain products and I'm not going to name names here, but a couple products that I was absolutely in love with that are not the same products now that the original owner or uh, since it's been purchased by another company and it's not just a, a single owner mom and pop outlet anymore. It is a, a company that's owned by a company. And so, and so I've seen some fall off in, uh, I don't want to necessarily say functionality, but the customer service standpoint, because if you do call that company and ask for questions, you're more than likely going to get some, uh, person who has little to no experience, who's reading off of a, a spec sheet, trying to find, you know, trying to find an answer for you when your best bet is to probably go to a bow shop or, or, or something like that to talk with someone who knows a thing or two. And that's an archery specific example, but I feel like, I feel like since companies start to sell and they go to a bigger company, then we start to see the opposite effect than, than what Vortex has done. So I don't know, like I, I had, I had a couple and what the reason I bring that up is because I had a couple products throughout the years that I would not, I would, I, I don't care what was on the market. I was so confident in this equipment and I just continued to go back to it every year blindly because I was so happy with it. Just go again, go again until one time I called the, co- I, I called the company and they're just like, yeah, man, uh, I'm not sure. Like that was one of the answers that I got from the person who answered the front phone was, yeah, I really don't know what to do, man. And so that's unacceptable for me. And so I went a different direction on, on that, that particular category. And I'm happy with what I have now because the people who were participants in bow hunting and archery were able to help me out. And, and I can share my example with him, hey, dude, that happened to me last year here. This is how you fix it. So an awesome example and a not awesome example. And I really do think that that leads to great gear. I, there's definitely been a considerable amount of consolidation within the outdoor space. And it doesn't matter whether it's on the hunting side or the fishing side or the camping side, you know, I I'm going to say, in some aspects, unfortunately, because that's been the business trend. Yeah. In other aspects, it is fortunate because um, it does create some opportunities for like the, the dealer, let's say, which we really need to do our best to support, you know, and, and, yeah. and the box stores too. We need, you know what I mean? Like Amazon has really changed the market for a lot of things. And I'm not, I'm not bashing on Amazon. I think it has its place, but like, you know, we need to we need to support these brick and mortars, even if it's by way of online sales. You know what I'm saying? And so um, that's one of the advantages with the consolidation is, you know, those people can see some benefit to it. Um, 
but there are drawbacks for sure. You're hundred percent right. But I, I also am seeing a trend where a lot of those larger groups and I work for one of them, right. Um, they're, they're finding the faults and their miscomings of, of earlier times and, and doing what they can to improve them because once, once you start to damage your reputation or reputation of, of really what were once really strong brands, it's hard to get that back. I always refer to it as the doom loop and um, it costs a lot of money to, to reverse the downward spiral of the doom loop. So before you get too far, you really need to identify and address these problems set in air quotes and make sure that, um, you know, they, they're, rectified as quickly as possible because the last thing you want to do is erode your customer base which made it so that particular brand was attractive toward your your investment group in the first place right so what what were all the contributing factors that made it so you know this company had us excited well they had a large market share they had a good marketing budget they had a great customer service team they had this they had that well notice i said had 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 well, don't erode that, right? Try and maintain that same thing. And, and there definitely seems to be a trend of that sort of coming back and, and, and people identifying that, oh, we can't, we can't take this one size fits all approach once we put all of these things under our umbrella because um, it doesn't always work. Um, and I just think on the whole, as, a, as an overall culture, especially on the archery side, like we really like, and we sort of feel like we have an individual relationship with these smaller brands. Like when I worked at the outdoor group and we bought slick trick, Holy cow, like the fallout from that was miserable. And, and it was just people really identified with, um, with the fact that that was a, a smaller sort of, I it wasn't even a niche. They did, they could get great sales, like just mom and pop brand. They just, they had a, they had a personal connection to it. Yeah. And when, you know, when we assumed that brand, they felt like we were just this big, ugly conglomerate that they weren't going to be able to relate to. And meanwhile, we were working really hard to have awesome customer service people in place to sort of fill the gaps yeah. that didn't exist with that brand. And then we rebranded it in an effort to, to get it more shelf appeal. So, so more people could have experience with the quality of that particular product and everything else, you know? Um, you know, and, and, you know, now working with Faradine, um, I have the same, we have the same experience there where we'll grab a brand and people are like, oh no, they're going to turn it into a steaming pile of poop. And we, we work really hard to try and, you know, avoid those things because yeah. that's not what we want at all. Right. We, we do not want people to think that we ruin brands. That is not what we do. We try and make them better and people would be blown away at how many people, how many of the people in leadership and, and you you've been with us on hunts and stuff, man. So, you know, like our authentic, you know, enthusiasts for hunting, you know, for archery that, that, that shoot and hunt and do a ton of stuff. And like when they take vacation time, even though we get a paycheck to go hunting, we're go We're still going hunting or we're still going fishing or we're still going camping. We're still doing outdoor stuff because that's our passion it's yeah. not just it's not just a shell company that sits there with a bunch of people you know making decisions you know, it's um yeah, yeah there, there's just a, a lot of people trying to make the right decisions to 
to help the, the consumer. It's, it's really difficult to know what the consumer wants. I remember um, I was friends with a CEO for, for one of the pretty major apparel brands in the hunting space. And he, he said that was one of their biggest challenges was to just know what the market really wanted. You know, and and you have to, especially on the apparel side, you have to have vision on that many years in advance because you have to go through the product development process, obviously, and then they have such long lead times for manufacturing. Um, you know, it's like it's like just these really really extended periods of time. And I thought, man, you know, that's you just you have to have your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on now, and you kind of got to be a Jedi of what's coming through in the future. And it's that way, whether it's hard goods or soft goods or anything, and it's really difficult to do, but you got to listen to your customers. So, you know, paying attention to what people are saying, paying attention to what the media is saying, paying attention to everything that's going on and really sitting down and, and absorbing it and not just being like, well, what the heck do they know? You, you know, one of my things that I, I talk about all the time is, you know, we can we can make all of our money giving the market what they want, or we can spend all of our money telling them what they need. <laughs> you know, <and> that holds, <laughs> That's a good, that, I like that. that. It holds true for everything, yeah. right? It doesn't matter whether it's, it, whether it's food or hunting stuff or, you know, everything, right? Like it, if people want hamburgers in your town, don't try and feed them pizza. You know what I mean? Like, yep. Keep it simple. Just keep making better hamburgers or, you know, put bacon on it or three kinds of cheese and maybe not go crazy if the town doesn't want, you know, crazy hamburgers. Beat them a regular old hamburger or whatever. And, um, you know, so it's just yeah. we're sort of at a point with the outdoor space where we just really have to continue to listen to our customers and listen to what the market is saying and, and really, really pay attention to the need and the adjusting need. Like, you know, with, I mean, I, I'm personally of the mind that we're going to, we're going to see a little bit of a unique economic time for, for a little, a little bit. And, um, you stand to wonder how is that going to affect hunting? Because traditionally in, in times, uh, of recession or, or, or when the economy gets a little tight, hunting tends to do really well because people, you know, they might not, they might have not, may not be working as much or they might not be doing, you know, other extracurricular activities and that frees up time. And they're like, you know what, I'm going to go hunting. I'm going to do whatever. And so, uh, you know, that it, it could potentially have benefit, but if things get really tight, they don't, they don't have the excess income discretionary income to utilize on anything you, you know and yeah. uh, and so it's really unique where we are right now but i i think if manufacturers are sort of paying attention and they're looking you know they're going to have solutions for for people to be able to put in front of them that is a good quality product back to what i said earlier you know the vast majority of the products on the market right now i think are good quality products and you know, they're going to find a solution that makes it so people can continue to participate, even despite the fact that they might be having challenges otherwise. And uh, yeah, and I, and I think I think that that's that's good, and it's one of the things that sort of makes everybody happy, if you will. And you know, kind of back to what we talked about: good versus great gear. Some of that comes back to, you know, what's the greatest that you're 
budget will allow for, you know, and, and, and taking advantage of that. Yeah. All great points, Mr. Tim Kent. I really appreciate uh, you you coming on today, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's always great. It's always fun to sit down and chat and, you know, just talk about hunting, man. I, I, yeah. We're so lucky to be able to do this. It's great. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, good luck this fall, man, and uh, I'll definitely have you on again in the near future, whether it's going to be the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast or the Hunting Gear podcast. We never know. Sounds good, Dan.